We're going to get away from our uh, regular series in the book of Matthew for today because of uh, it being uh, New Year. I'm sorry, <laughs> Christmas Eve. I'm ahead of myself one week. It's uh, it's Christmas Eve. I'm pretty sure. Sorry about that. Yeah. We're going to go to John chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 through 18 today. John chapter three, verses 14 to 18. I got all excited this morning for just a split second because uh, I wasn't aware this was going to happen, but I heard a baritone start to play. And for just a split second, I thought the rapture's upon us. <laughs> uh, everybody was excited, and then we didn't leave, uh, so I had to go through Sunday school anyway. Uh, but yeah, I thought, oh boy, here we go. You know, that's going to be an exciting day. That's going to be a great day when Jesus comes to get us back. I expect that at any moment. Uh, it could happen at any time because I'm uh, still uh, pre-trib and pre-mill and uh, want to be that way uh, till I die or get raptured. Uh, I wish at the rapture you had time to say, I told you, but you don't, you don't even have that much time, right? All right, that's unrelated to this. Anyway, uh, one, of the, one of the main events at Christmas season is the giving of gifts, Right? And we know that the reality is that billions of dollars are spent in America alone on Christmas gifts each year. Some of those gifts, uh, they, they last a long time. Uh, some of them don't make it through Christmas Day. Some of the gifts break, and some of the kids are playing with the uh, box it came in, and that becomes the focus of their fun time, and they're having more fun with the box than what we spent money for, and that just happens on Christmas Day. Some gifts will light up the recipient's face, and some will cause uh, the faces of others to go, are you kidding me? Have you, ever, have you ever given a gift and the person didn't like what you gave? I'm the only one? All right, okay, well, all right, anyway, uh, my parents did that, and I've told this before, but it's one of my favorite stories. My younger brother, Blaine, uh, one Christmas. My mom and dad really went all out at Christmas. I mean, we had, we had presents just filled, you know, underneath the tree. I mean, they, they really went after it. And uh, my brother uh, gets a box, and we take turns around the family. By the way, tonight you're going to hear the high school students say what Christmas means to me. You really don't want to miss that. And so be here tonight, okay, 530. But anyway, we're going around the room. My brother gets this box. He opens it up. And it's a pair of shoes. For, for just a second, he has a, has a look of delight on his face. And he opens the box. And I have to admit, those are the ugliest shoes I've ever seen. And he pulls them out and he says, these are absolutely ugly. What do you want me to do? I'm not going to wear them. He threw them down. I thought, well, that's not the Christmas spirit on Christmas Day. Throw your, <laughs> throw your shoe to the ground. And he said, I'm not wearing those. And I looked at him, I thought, I wouldn't wear them either. And then about three rounds later, he got another present. And he opened that up. And it was a bowling ball. And now it all makes sense for the ugly shoes. <laughs> and I don't know if my mom and dad planned it that way, but man, it was great to watch. Uh, just uh, see him get all upset, and all of a sudden he was just happy. Uh, we have found that we have given our kids at times uh, gifts, and they don't like them. Uh, my son's got word back to me that they're sick of getting tools, and I thought, how could, you, how could that possibly be? Uh, they're sick of tools, they're not going to use them, and so quit giving me tools. I was actually at my, uh, one of my son's house yesterday digging through a, a shed so I could find uh, something that we were needed to work on his floor, and I found his socket set that I gave him just laying back in there, and I thought, would he miss it? 
And then I thought, well, that would probably be wrong. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, we just give them money now, mostly. Just give money because uh, that way you don't have to listen to all the whining and the griping about the, what they gave you. Or you don't have to find out later that they took it back, traded it in, and bought something they wanted. And so we just give them money. They can buy what they want. Christmas is, however, truly about the giving of the greatest gift in history uh, to the entire world for all times. And you all know that. It's present and future. It's for all times. And some people are overjoyed and beyond belief about that gift, and others turn up their nose at the gift of Jesus Christ, and they just walk away. And I've run into both in my life. I've had uh, the chance to share Christ with a lot of people. Some of them are overjoyed. They can't wait. You know, let's get through this so I can be a Christian. And other people just walk away and snub their nose at it and say it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to believe that. I know how I'm going to get in heaven, and it's not your way, but I'll get there. And under my breath, I'm thinking, well, no, you won't, but okay. The gift that God gave at Christmas is the most important one that a person can receive in his or her life, bar none. Uh, even more important than an ugly pair of bowling shoes, right? Uh, way more important than that. Way more important than getting cured of cancer. Way more important than getting any other so-called gift that we could possibly get in this life. God gave us that gift through his son. That's what the Christmas story is all about. God gave us the gift of salvation through, through a little baby. Uh, now this baby up here is, uh, he's all white, and I'm sure Jesus was Jewish, uh, but that's the best we can do, I guess, right? But there's a little baby born of the Jews, and he was born uh, of a tribe that would be rulers, and he's going to be a ruler, and he really already is. The wise person accepts the grace of God. That means what you don't deserve, God gives you, and you accept it. And that person lives. The biblical fool thumbs his nose at God and perishes for all of eternity. God's offer of his gift to each person expires when they do. You can't die, stand before the judgment seat and realize, oh, this was real. God's going to judge me and then decide right in front of God, I'm going to make my decision right now and say, Lord, while I was waiting in line there, I made a decision to trust you. Too late. Depart from me, God will say, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And if he says that to you, you're gone for eternity. Do you realize there have been people in hell for thousands of years, and they will never get out. I can't imagine spending an hour in hell. I wouldn't want that to happen to anybody, but people choose to thumb their nose at Jesus all the time. So it's important for us to take advantage of God's offer while we still can, because there's coming a day when we cannot. And so today would be a good day if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. Now, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, let's turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 to 18 today is all, <clears throat> and talk a little bit about what's going on there. Uh, he's going to reference something that happened in the Old Testament, and he's going to make an illustration with that to what Jesus Christ did. So uh, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15, and then uh, you are going to recite with me John 3.16, out loud, from memory, and then I'll pick it up in verse 17. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, it'll be fun to find out how many different versions of that verse we know, right? So you get ready. Here we go. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
so that, and here's the reason, the purpose, that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I thank you for the King James people. We appreciate that. Uh, the word begotten has been left in a lot of texts. The word actually means one and only, unique son of God. And if I was translating that, that's the way I would do it. Verse 17 then says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't his, it, was, it was not his point. But that through him the world might be saved. He who believes in him, that is Jesus, is not judged And he who does not believe has been judged already. You know why? Because we're conceived in the womb as sinners and enemies of God. That judgment is on us because of Adam's imputed sin to us. It's inherited. And he goes on to say, because he has not believed in the name of the only, one and only, unique Son of God. In other words, those who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, uh, they get saved, they they get forgiven of their sin, they get to go to heaven when they die. And those who do not do that, who reject Jesus and don't believe in Jesus, thumb their nose at Jesus, they end up in hell for the rest of eternity. Uh, I can't imagine one, one hour there, and yet there's been people there for thousands of years. They're not having fun. They're, uh, they're with some of their buddies, but they're not doing buddy-type things. They're in torment. Their teeth are gnashing because of the pain. It's like being in a fire. It's dry. And it's what the Bible calls hell. And we don't want to go there. And so I'm praying that if there is someone here today who does not understand that. And as I look around, you know, I'd say pretty much everybody here does, but I don't know your heart exactly. And I want you to take this uh, consideration seriously. As we look at verses 14 and 15, it goes back to an Old Testament account of Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. Even so, he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, we're going to look at that in just a minute and uh, see what it has to do with this. But what I want you to learn, if you're following along in your bulletin, in uh, verses 14 to 15, is this. The Son of Man will be crucified so that those who believe in him will be saved. The Son of Man will be crucified so that those who believe in him may be saved. Saved from what? Well, we're going to answer that question in just a minute. But Jesus is telling the disciples, and he likens what is going to happen to him on the cross with an event that took place in the Old Testament. Let's go look at that in Numbers chapter 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and chapter 21. And I want to read verses 4 through 9. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. They think God gave them a raw deal, and they start complaining. They start doing things they shouldn't have done. And Yahweh hears the voice of Israel, and uh, he hears them, and they get what they want sometimes, and then they do things they shouldn't do. Verse 4, then they set out. So Israel packs up. They get ready to move around the wilderness. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. To go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. 
God wasn't going to let them uh, have Edom at that time, and so they're going to have to go all the way around them. And as they're going around, there's people griping and complaining about the conditions of the hike and about the trip. And so this is what God hears in heaven. They became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Well, what did they say? Here's what they said. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now that shows a considerable uh, lack of any faith. God brought them out to save them and make them a people. That's what he told them. But now they're in the hot sun in the desert. Things aren't going well. And they're griping to, to Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? where we were slaves and apparently had a good time being slaves and want to go back. Why, we were slaves there, but this is miserable. Why would you bring us out here? We're just going to die. There's not enough water. There's not enough food, uh, except for this lousy manna that God gives. They don't like that. He says, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food, talking about manna, which is, by the way, angel food, the Bible says. Angels eat it. I don't know how often. I don't know when. But it says it's angel food, and they eat that angel food, and it sustains them. And these people are getting angel food, and it's called manna. They have to go out and pick it up in the morning. On Saturday, I'm, I'm sorry, on Friday they pick up two days' worth because they're not allowed to go out on the Sabbath on Saturday, and they're getting sick and tired of it. So what does God do in verse six? It says, "And Yahweh sent fiery serpents. That means they're poisonous among the people, and they bit the people." so that many people of Israel died. That's what God thinks about complaining for his provision. So the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh and you intercede for us with Yahweh. In other words, we didn't do what was right. We said things we shouldn't have said. Now we want you to pray for us and, and get Yahweh to take his hand away from us. And so intercede with the Lord that he might remove the serpents from us, and Moses interceded for the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. So he did it out of bronze, and he set it up on a standard, in other words, on a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten by the uh, poisonous snake, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked uh, to the bronze serpent, he lived. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and by the way, that becomes a medical symbol for today. You've seen it with the standard and snakes wrapped around it. What was happening is poison snakes were biting the people, and God says to Moses, I want you to make a, a, a serpent out of bronze. Of course, it's dead, obviously. And you're going to put it on a standard. That means it's going to be way up high in the air so people can see it. Somebody's going to have to hold the pole. And if you get bit by one of the poisonous snakes, all you have to do is look at that and God will heal you. That's all you have to do. But friends, it takes faith and belief to believe that if I look at that, I'm going to get well. And so the issue here is faith in what God said, right? It's not that a bronze serpent is going to do anything because it's not. Well, this sets up a comparison for our friend Nicodemus because remember, it's Nicodemus that Jesus is talking to in John chapter 3. He's one of the pharisaical leaders of the day. He's wanting to know more about what Jesus is teaching. He ends up being a secret disciple of Christ near the end of Christ's life and his crucifixion. And so Nicodemus has something to think about because he knows the law. He knows where that's found. He knows the story. He knows all about it. And Jesus is saying something about that standard 
and what's going to happen with him. And so he's uh, surely a teacher, a scholar of Israel, and he's, he's familiar with this text, but he's never thought of it this way. This is new revelation about Jesus. God, angry with the people's accusation that he is against them, uh, let them die in the wilderness, plus they were disgusted with the miserable food they got tired of called manna. Sick and tired. I don't know what it tastes like. The Bible describes it's like a honey wafer, something like that. Uh, it's not, it's, I'm certain it's not a rice cake. That, nobody would like that, right? But God, and not, you, you don't have to tell me after the service I like rice cakes. I know, there, I know there's some of you that do. Okay, this is America right now, all right? Uh, they're disgusted with this, and God gives them what they want. They would have died in Egypt. Well, you can die right here. If we look at the provision that God gives us and we make fun of it and we don't like it, God takes offense at that. Where else are you going to get food in the middle of the desert? (laughs) And God just makes it appear on the ground for you every day. Just walk out and pick it up. And it's clean and it's pure, it's nutritious, and just eat it. No, we're going to complain about it. So God decides to send poisonous vipers into the camp and start eliminating the children of Israel right where they sit or stand, wherever they're doing. God allows Moses to cast a bronze serpent, and that bronze serpent had a name. Its name was Nehashtan. And uh, later, Israel, under King Hezekiah, was kind of worshiping it and burning incense to it, so Hezekiah destroyed it. Took Nehashtan, Nehashtan and just did away with it. You know, that's what happens with religious artifacts. People start thinking that that's what has the power, not God, and they start to worship it, and they start burning incense to it. Uh, Bless Hezekiah's heart, he took it, and he destroyed it. And uh, sometimes idols were destroyed, and they were poured into the water, and then the king made them drink it, said, this is what you you deserve. God allowed those who looked at this uh, serpent on a pole to be cured of the snake's venom. I was going to ask, I didn't get that done. Uh, at a cousin years ago that got bit by a rattlesnake. Only one fang went in his leg. The other one didn't go in, so he didn't get a big dose. But boy, was he sick. And he had to have six vials of antivenom in Denver. And back then, I don't know what they are now, probably way more, but one vial of antivenom was about $1,500. Here, you get to look at a bronze serpent on a pole, and you get cured for nothing except belief. So Moses lifted up that standard, and it required them to look in faith at the bronze serpent in order to be healed. You still have to do something with this. I'm going to raise up the snake on the standard, but you still have to look at it. And you have to believe that by looking at it, you can be cured. Do you think there were people that looked at it and didn't get cured? I think, of course, there were, because they didn't believe what God had said about this. And it took faith to believe what God said would cure me. God's fully capable of healing our physical ailments, amazingly. And here he did this by demonstrating you need faith. Well, in verse 14, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that in the same way, you know, what I'm saying is when Moses made that serpent and he lifted up on that standard, in the same way, Jesus says, the Son of Man, meaning himself from Ezekiel, must be lifted up. The occurrence of this phrase in John refers to the crucifixion of Christ. So look with me for just a minute over in chapter 8 of John. These are all in your bulletin, if you miss it. 8.28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. That goes back to when God in the burning bush said, I 
am who I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So the point is, there's other places he says, I'll be lifted up, referring to the cross. Uh, Go to chapter 12 for just a minute, and verse 32, chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about on the cross, will draw all men to myself. Just as a side point, that word in Greek, to draw, it means I will drag all men to myself. Going on then, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross. Yeah, it started out on the ground. They had to nail him to it. And that's better done on the ground. Then they lifted him up. And there he was on that, if you will, we'd call it a standard. He is something to consider. He is something to notice, but by faith. In verse 15, the purpose of his being lifted up will be that the one who believes in him will have eternal life. See the the significance there? If you look at this snake, you'll get healed of your disease in the wilderness if a viper bit you. And if you look at Jesus Christ, he'll heal you of a different disease, and some people don't even know they have that disease. Those who believe in Jesus, when they look at him on the cross, will be given spiritual healing that will last forever. You're aware, aren't you, that the Bible teaches that we are all conceived in the womb with a a sin that is killing us. It's why the Bible says that the outward man is decaying. You start your decay when you're born. And then it it considers, uh, it really goes into overdrive when you're dead and in your coffin, but this body will die. And if you don't get healing for your spirit, it too will die except in the fires of hell. And it'll be a conscious punishment forever. Note the eternal life is something the believer has, it says, in Jesus. Not around Jesus, not over Jesus, not under Jesus. You can't work your way into heaven. It's through Jesus. It's in Jesus that we have salvation. And there is no other. Note also that it is by faith. The one who looks to Jesus by faith. And it doesn't have to be you look at him when he's on the cross. or Otherwise, none of us have any hope. But we look and we believe God put him on that cross to pay for our sins. And if we believe, we have eternal life. It's not about works on our part. God doesn't need that. God doesn't want our works. It's like filthy rags. That, you, know, you throw those in the trash or you burn them. God wants our faith. So in verse 16, the one you uh, did a great job of uh, quoting, we learn that it is out of God's love for us that he gave his son to die for us so that we won't perish but instead have everlasting life. God will give us a new body in heaven. God gives people in hell a body that will uh, not die, even though tormented forever and ever and ever. You choose. One is by the way of faith. The other one just don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything with God if you want to go to hell. You don't have to believe in him. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. You you just are going to go to hell from the womb if you don't do anything with Jesus. Out of love for the world. That's what the verse says, right? For God so loved the world. How much did God love the world? It says he loved us so much that he gave us his unique one and only son to die in our place. How much does Jesus love you? Well, he died for you. He died for you. And me. And what did he give his son for? To pay for our sins to get rid of the disease of sin that's in us and will kill us in the fires of hell if we don't do something about it. 
The promise is whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In Acts chapter 16, Lydia was told, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. In that same chapter, the Philippian jailer, uh, he, he asked Paul, and Bar- what do I do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. And it's, it seems so easy. It doesn't seem like it'd be hard, and yet people can't wrap their minds around it. They still want to work their way in. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I mean, look what it said in verse 15. So that whoever believes will in him, not anybody else, but will have eternal life. And I love God sent his son. And I love Jesus came for you. The promise is that whoever believes in him has eternal life. We must believe. And the ability to exercise that faith in Jesus, God says, is a gift that he gives you to do. How can I believe? Well, God will give you that gift to believe. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's what the Bible says. And it says that that's a gift of God so that nobody has anything to brag about. Nobody's going to be walking around heaven and saying, did you hear how good I was and that's the reason I got into heaven? Sit down here and let's have some manna or something and we'll talk about how great I was on earth to get myself in heaven. <laughs> A person like that's in hell. They're not in heaven. We don't have anything to brag about. We show up to Jesus with nothing to offer God for our salvation, except if we show up with the blood of Christ. Then we have all that we need. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We must believe that God gave. We must believe that God gave. In the book of Romans... Uh, we're having trouble today with uh, people thinking, I don't have to make a decision uh, about God. I just, I just believe it, okay? There's something to confessing. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I tell people, you, you need to make a decision. You need to say to God, I'm making that decision. I am sorry for my sins, and today I'm believing that you paid for my sins on that cross. So what did he give? Well, he gave us life through his unique son. He gave him on Christmas Day to the world. He grows up. He lives a perfect and sinless life. And on Easter, we'll be talking about what happened to him a little bit more. Exercising faith in Jesus means that we will not be condemned in any future judgment of God. You should be scared to death to face a God who holds your hands in the palm of his hand, holds you in the palm of his hand, and he's angry at your sin. He's angry at you because of your sin, and you deserve hell, and yet he extends his hands on the cross and pays for your sin. You don't want to face judgment without having made that decision to exercise faith in Jesus. The believers don't ever have to have a concern about perishing in the fires of hell. Or in the netherworld. Or in Sheol. In verses 17 and 18. Jesus' purpose in coming was not to judge the world, but rather to save it. That's his first coming. You better believe the next time he comes. Outside of the rapture. But when he comes to judge in the second coming. His angels will gather up all the unbelievers on planet earth. And he will tread out their lives in the winepress of the wrath of God, and their blood will run as deep as the bit on a horse's bridle uh, bit uh, for 200 miles or more. depends on what those measurements really mean. But wow, that's a long way. It's a lot of blood. 
This time he came in peace. This time he came out of love for you. If you don't get it right with him, you will meet a God that will deal with his wrath in you. And you don't have to. You can let Jesus deal with that. In the first part of verse 17, the mission of Jesus, orchestrated by the Father, no less, was not to send him to judge the world, but to save the world, so that through him the world might be saved. This refers to the final judgment of the people of God. We're all going to either be raptured or we're going to die, and we're going to go stand before God. We all have a judgment, but if you're a Christian, you will never be judged for your salvation, ever. If your name's written in the book of life, it's written, and that's, that's what's going to show that you, you belong there. And in that judgment, there is nothing for you to fear. In that judgment, there is nothing for you to fear except maybe some good works that are burned up because you did them with the wrong motive. Kind of at that point, you want to say, so what? If I get into heaven, hallelujah. Now, God does want you to do good things in his name as a, as a believer, so I don't want to downplay that. But he came for something else first. He came to save us because he loves you. In verse 17b, he came so that the world would be saved through him. What do people, people need saved from? I struggle with that when I'm talking to an unbeliever and say, Jesus wants to save you, and they want to, for what? What do I need saved for? And it's hard to get that across. And I wonder if people know the answer to this. Uh, Dr. D.A. Carson at Trinity uh, says it this way. He tells us that salvation is from the realm of sin, in other words, the realm of the world, and from eternal judgment in hell. That's what we want to be saved from. And that's what we want to get across. What God gave in Jesus is the way to be saved. What? Well, from the realm of the world and from eternal judgment in hell. Rescued from what? From the realm of this sinful world and from judgment in the world to come. He rescued us from the reality of hell that all of us are headed for if we refuse to look to Jesus in faith. God raised him up. And he said, look. (laughs) What do I have here? I have a sacrifice for you. And if you'll believe in it, it's for your healing. Eternal healing. In verse 18 then, here is the great gift of Christmas. All one has to do is believe in Jesus. That he is who he says he is. And he did what he said he did. Faith is belief that Jesus died on the cross. A complete sacrifice for my sins. A complete sacrifice for my sins. Let's don't act like Jesus left something out. Let's don't act like, well, I can work my way into heaven. Let's don't act like, if, if I just do the right things, I'll get there. What, what, a, what a slap in Jesus' face. He paid it all. And that's why we owe all to him. You're not going to pay for it. Let him pay for it, because that's the only way he can do it. If you believe, you will be saved. If you believe, you'll be saved and have eternal life. That's verse 15. It is not by goodness or works that we get into heaven. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of our righteousness is like filthy rags to, to God. We read Ephesians 2, 9. Not, uh, n- not by works of righteousness, because uh, we, will, we will have nothing to boast about when we get into the presence of God. And here's one that I don't uh, quote too often. But from Titus, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. 
He doesn't save us because we're righteous people. We're, we're unrighteous people. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be heirs according to the hope of eternal life, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I've never seen this happen, but I'm told that if you're, you're a bad boy or a bad girl, you get a lump of cold in your stocking. And what people are trying to tell you is uh, you're in the rough and you need some refining. <laughs> you need to get your act together. You need to start living a better life. Uh, the other kids, they're all getting these nice presents. It's from the Hubbards, they're getting, they're getting cash. And you're getting cold because you need to make some changes in your life. And by the way, Everybody starts out with God as a lump of coal. God's gift to us is something with which to replace the lump of coal that we got when we were conceived in the womb. He instead makes us a spiritual diamond, if you will. He'll mold you and he'll shape you, but it begins with your belief in him. By believing, you no longer have a lump of coal. In the last part of verse 18, the one who does not believe has been condemned already. Why? Well, because that's the way you were conceived in the womb. We are conceived, condemned people. Way before Jesus came, everybody who didn't believe the words of God is this way. Thanks to what the Bible calls the federal headship of Adam, which is a legal term, uh, we have each one of us been given a horrible gift. And the gift is death. And the gift is eternity in hell if we don't change it. We were judged from the start of our lives at conception. David said, I was conceived in my mother's womb, a sinner. It is simply uh, that Jesus wants to give you a gift exchange, if you will. Uh, your coal for his diamond. Your sinfulness for his righteousness. Wow, there's a tremendous difference there, right? We don't like bad gifts. Had my brother not got the bowling ball, I think he would have burned the shoes in front of mom and dad. But there are people who tell Jesus in the offer, I like the coal instead. I don't mind being coal. And that's the wrong decision. Jesus wants them to know that they're not going to need any coal where they're going. Why not exchange it for eternal life with the glory in Jesus that exists there? If you pass on Jesus, if you take a pass on what he did, there's no way to escape your judgment. God gave his son. The issue is, will you believe in him? This Christmas, why not take the offer Jesus is offering you and get, if you will, that diamond of salvation if you don't have it? If you can understand what I'm talking about, if you're a little person, you can make that decision. You have nothing to lose but your coal and everything to gain, which is your eternal life. I want to make this application a couple of them. The Bible tells us to take off the old man of death and put on the new man of life, who is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And you do that by believing in him.
And secondly, the true gift of Christmas is that God gave us his son. And we want to treat that gift with the utmost of respect. This is the message that we preach. This is the message that we give. I hear all the time that people go to churches and they never hear the word hell. I don't know why. I've said it enough for everybody in town today. Because it's real. Because it's horrible. Because it's forever. Somebody said we ought to be willing, if we really believe this, we ought to be willing with with bare knees to crawl through glass to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. That's what we ought to have. Do we have that if we know Jesus? Are we willing to do that for him to tell others? And then if I'm talking to you today and you'd like to believe in Jesus for your eternal life, why not do it right now? God is God, and there's nothing he can't do. And he could hear you in your head if you'd say it. To just say, Lord, I understand I'm a sinner. Today I believe that you paid for my sins on the cross. You're the son of God. Thank you for saving me and for sending your spirit to take up residence in my life. And you become a Christian. You looked at the cross and you said, I believe that. And Jesus is the healing. Nehushtan became an idol. It was worthless for healing. And people choose idols over Jesus all day long. And Jesus wants us to know there's only one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name Jesus. It must be through him. If you have any questions about that, you have trouble with that, come ask me. I'd be happy to open the Bible and share with you what you need to do if you don't understand. If you did what you did this morning, what I talked about, uh, I have a little book called Welcome to the Family I'd like to give you, and it'll tell you how uh, this stuff fits into Scripture that we've talked about. Well, let's pray. We recognize that we are speaking to the only God that there is, who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who have worked together over time and in eternity past to provide a way for us to have salvation, for us to have a way to have fellowship with the living God, which we've learned today is what you really want with us. So, Father, I pray that you would open the heart or mind of anyone who has not made that decision And today, he or she would have decided. And I pray that they would begin their life with Christ in the freedom of the forgiveness of sin and the freedom to love you and be loved. We want to thank you for this child that was born and put in a manger. Certainly, not the way we think. Somebody as valuable as Jesus should have been treated. But it's the way you chose, because you are humble and righteous, and you came to save us. We're so thankful, and we pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.